This is an Alexandrian Media original podcast. Music is a universal language, a language in which all humans who can hear and feel its rich tones and vibrations can understand, beyond our spoken languages like English, French, Spanish, or Russian to name a few. It depicts worlds unknowable to our other senses, breathing life back into ancient memories while simultaneously giving birth to new ones. Music is an age-old storyteller, collecting up bits of life left behind by the people of yesterday and inviting us into its endless library to marvel at civilizations and cultures we have no personal connection to. We have much to learn from music, and if given the chance, it is willing to teach us. Music is thousands of years old, And depending on which era of music you are listening to, their sounds can seem worlds apart. Music historians love to categorize music by eras to draw some kind of line between different shifts in style and the evolution of how musicians aimed to express themselves. Currently, we live in a time where the musical eras are not yet defined, and this current period stretches all the way back through to the 19th century. Going backwards through time, we next get to the Common Practice Period, which contains the three major cultural eras that we are most familiar with, the Romantic, Classical, and Baroque eras. And then we come to a bit of a gray area. Some historians may classify anything between the Middle Ages and the Baroque era to be what is called the Early Period, containing music of the Middle Ages and the Renaissance. But oftentimes, this period of music is just thrown into the pile of any music predating the Baroque era. I'm not here to argue which side would be the more appropriate categorization of music from these eras of our distant past, but I am here to focus on two composers, one certainly more than the other, one straddling the late Romantic era and the era known as quote-unquote the 20th century and the other belonging to one of those older eras, the Renaissance. Coincidentally, or not so coincidentally, depending on how you want to look at the story I'm about to unravel, these two composers both belong to the English tradition of music, separated by hundreds of years, yet they are not so different. Rayfon Williams was a composer who lived in the late 19th century and into the mid-20th century a composer who denounced the German musical influence that was infiltrating musical traditions all across Europe to promote and support the music of his country, both past and present. Von Williams brought forward music of a world nearly long forgotten to the one that he was living in, and that journey to melding them together started when he found a tune by the English Renaissance composer Thomas Tallis. This is The Composer Chronicles, a podcast that recounts the stories of composers past and present through the music they write. 
I'm Stephen Trigar, and this is episode number 42, When Worlds Collide. To properly understand the full picture when it comes to the composition of Von Williams's Fantasia on a Theme by Thomas Tallis, we must first briefly examine Thomas Tallis himself. Tallis was, and still is, best known for his enormous and diverse output of sacred music. He lived in the 16th century England and was blessed with a healthy and long life of 80 years. But throughout those 80 years, he served under four different monarchs of the Tudor house, Henry VIII, Edward VI, Mary I, and Elizabeth I. If you are at all familiar with the history of the monarchs in England at this time, you'll know that this was an incredibly turbulent time, and religion was one of the primary topics of debate. Henry VIII's excommunication from the Roman Catholic Church, due to their disapproval of his complicated string of marriages, led him to separate the Church of England from the papal authority and appoint himself as its supreme head. Under Edward VI, the Church of England transformed into a Protestant religious body, but his sister Mary I was a devout Roman Catholic. When she eventually succeeded to the throne, she reversed her father's damage by re-establishing Roman Catholicism in England. But then all of that was undone by Elizabeth I when she took on the duty of queen. As I'm sure you can imagine, this was incredibly difficult for clergymen and those who worked in the church. This was also a tumultuous time for composers and musicians, who between the late 1400s and the mid-1500s had to change religious practices at least five times. That is why the music of Thomas Tallis is considered to be so diverse. He was forced by the rulers of his home country to change his musical practices each time they wanted to upend the religion of the country. But by the 1560s, he was able to return to the Anglican tradition of sacred music. The music that Talis wrote from this late period of his life is still some of the most regularly performed music within the Anglican church. And it is from this period that we get the tune that would eventually inspire Rayfon Williams to write his Fantasia. That tune was the third in a set of nine tunes for Archbishop Matthew Parker's Psalter. After Talis's death, the Psalter fell into obscurity and lost a time. That is, until one day when a young Ray Von Williams took up the project of editing the English hymnal. Thank you. 
A few years prior to the aforementioned project, Griffon Williams began collecting folk songs, venturing into the English countryside and transcribing all the songs he heard on his travels. His interest in English folk music was always strong, but now, as oral traditions were dying out, he felt it was his duty to write them down before they became extinct. This project would only lay the foundation for Vaughn Williams' love for the music of his country's past, and he would compose more and more steadily. Eventually, he felt like he hit a wall in his growth as a composer. He had been composing for a few years already on his own. To refine his craft, he sought out Sir Edward Elgar, one of the country's leading composers at the time. But that plan failed, and instead he decided to turn his eyes toward France one of the world's leading countries in music at the time. First, his thoughts went towards Vincent Dindy, but when the music critic and musicologist M.D. Cavacaresi introduced the young Van Williams to Maurice Ravel, he desired to study with nobody else. Ravel was a known modernist, and much less dogmatic than Dindy. Traits that Van Williams wished to emulate in his own works while resurfacing England's forgotten music. Fortunately for von Williams, Ravel accepted his proposal for study. Ravel was known for taking very few students and for giving his students a massive amount of tasks to do. In three months' time, that winter of 1907 through 1908, von Williams studied diligently with Ravel in Paris, having as many as four or five sessions in a week. Little is known about Von Williams' life during these three months. He wouldn't write about it for nearly 40 years, and scholars today suggest that one takes these writings with a grain of salt. However, Ravel had his fair share of things to say about Von Williams. He said that Von Williams was the only one of his students that didn't end up writing exactly like him, maintaining his own unique style the whole time. Yet, Von Williams was thankful to Ravel for helping him escape the heavy, contrapuntal nature that the Germans were trying to impress upon Western musical culture. Within the year after his time with Ravel, Von Williams truly began to blossom as a composer. He wrote many of his great first works, such as A Sea Symphony, aka his Symphony No. 1, The Overture to the Wasps, and his song cycle on Wenlock Edge. His reputation as a composer was growing little by little within England, yet he had not yet received wide recognition. That was until 1910, when he was commissioned by the Three Choirs Festival to write a piece for them that year, a piece that would give him the opportunity to use a tune he had found several years earlier when editing the English hymnal, a tune by Thomas Tallis. We'll pick back up with the creation of the Fantasia after the break. music be like? I certainly don't want to know. This podcast would not exist. 
Luckily, we don't have to find out what that world is like. I do a lot of listening in a day between all of my favorite music and podcasts, and it's not just for entertainment. I'm constantly doing research for this podcast and switching back and forth between apps to listen to a podcast episode and then a piece of music can get tiresome if I'm trying to quickly switch back and forth. From an episode of Hey Riddle Riddle, to Stravinsky's The Firebird Ballet Suite, and then to Lady Gaga's latest album, I can listen to them all on Amazon Music whenever and wherever I want. I start listening when I get into my car, and then when I get home, I switch over to my Alexa while I cook dinner for me and my fiancé. Listeners of this podcast can join me in listening to all of the best music and greatest podcasts on Amazon Music Unlimited right now when you sign up today at getamazonmusic.com slash the Composer Chronicles and get your first 30 days for free. You can get unlimited access to any song and do all of that listening without any ads. So again, go to getamazonmusic.com slash The Composer Chronicles and start listening on Amazon Music Unlimited today. Aside from folk tunes, Von Williams was drawn to hymnody. He was the son of a clergyman and was exposed to hymns of the Anglican Church for a great portion of his life. While he himself was not a believer in God, he was still fascinated by the long and rich history of hymns in the Anglican Church. When Von Williams discovered the tune he was editing for a new English hymnal, he was absolutely taken by its use of the Phrygian mode and the text. The tune is set to Psalm 2 in the Bible, which in the King James Version begins with, Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? However, when von Williams discovered it, it was still using the setting that Archbishop Parker had created for Thomas Tallis to use, changing the previously read phrase to, Why foomth in sight, the Gentiles spite, in fury raging stout? Why taketh and hond the people fond? vain things to bring about. Archbishop Parker's setting is much more poetic than the King James Bible, and truly a fascinating window into the past. Besides a text, I mentioned that Talus's tune is in the Phrygian mode. For those of you who are not musicians or are not familiar with the modes, a mode in music is almost like a scale or a key in which a composer writes their music. The popular major and minor keys that we all know are themselves modes, Ionian and Aeolian, and Phrygian is just another one of the many modes that composers have at their disposal when writing. Von Williams was fascinated with modal writing, as many of the folk tunes he collected across the English countryside were also in modes. To Von Williams, it was like being able to extend his speaking vocabulary and provided him with opportunities that most composers in the Germanic, and even at times the French schools of music, rarely touched. 
With these unique characteristics of the tune, Vaughn Williams came to associate it with the popular Christian allegory, The Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. The connection was so strong that the year he discovered the tune, he used it in incidental music he composed for a stage version of The Pilgrim's Progress, four years prior to writing the Fantasia. In 1910, the Three Choirs Festival approached Vaughan Williams and commissioned a work from him to be premiered in the Gloucester Cathedral. What better a place to write a piece using a sacred tune than a cathedral? When it came time to premiere the work, Vaughan Williams conducted the London Symphony Orchestra himself on September 6, 1910. Coincidentally, the piece was appropriately followed by Elgar's The Dream of Durantis, conducted by Algar himself. What makes this moment so ironic is that the country's leading composer of music at the time, who had also declined the younger Vaughn Williams' request to study with him, had been outshined by him that day. With the premiere of the Fantasia on a theme by Thomas Tallis, Vaughn Williams was able to prove not just to Algar, but to the whole world that he was a composer of great merit. Someone who could create a brand new world of music that had never been explored. Music that could never be mistaken or compared to anybody else. Of course, there were a few negative critics in the audience, such as the cathedral's organist Herbert Brewer and a reporter from the Musical Times who saw the Fantasia as too adventurous and full of itself. But the work received more praise than it did discouragement, and with it, Vaughn Williams would become an international sensation. Today, Von Williams' Fantasia on a theme by Thomas Tallis touches all those who listen to its rich harmonies and flowing phrases. For a moment, we have one foot in the distant past and the other stepping towards the future. Regardless of your religious beliefs, Von Williams teaches us that no matter how old or dusty something may be, it can always be cleaned and polished and given new life once again. 
And with it, we give future worlds the chance to learn and grow. This episode of the Composer Chronicles was written, researched, and edited by me, Stephen Shigar, with theme music written by Daryl Banner. Sources and other music used in this episode can be found in the show notes. If you've enjoyed this episode, consider leaving a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, or wherever you can leave a rating and a review. And if you've really enjoyed this episode, become a member on Patreon. For as little as $1.50 per month, members get early access to ad-free versions of every episode, as well as a behind-the-scenes bonus podcast titled Unscripted. To become a member, sign up at patreon.com slash thecomposerchronicles. Again, that's patreon.com slash thecomposerchronicles. Both ratings and memberships help the show to grow, so show the podcast and support and help it out. You can find the Composer Chronicles on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Cron Podcast. There, you can stay up to date on all of the latest news. Next week, I get to introduce you to a longtime friend of this podcast, Trevor Kowalski. Trevor's music has graced nearly every episode of this podcast. And finally, you get a chance to learn about the man behind the curtain. Thank you for listening, and I will see you next time. Alexandrian Media, Art and Culture for the Modern Era.